Welcome to New Mommy at 40, a honest, informative, and non-judgmental podcast for those navigating to and through parenthood in their 40s. Today we're talking about the state of our nation's fertility and the everyday chemicals that are disrupting reproductive health for both men and women with Dr. Shauna Swan, one of the world's leading reproductive epidemiologists. This is a must listen for anyone concerned about not just our own ability to conceive, but the future of our children's fertility health as well. But before we get into it, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this so you don't miss a single episode. All right, let's get into it. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby. You're getting the best of me because I'm a new And welcome to the show. I am so excited to have the guest that we have today. She is Dr. Shauna Swan. She's an award-winning scientist based at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City and one of the world's leading environmental and reproductive epidemiologists. Dr. Swan has published more than 200 scientific papers and has made appearances on numerous media outlets. Her work has been featured in Bloomberg News and in publications ranging from the Washington Post to New Scientist. She is the author of Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of Human Race. And it's a wake-up call to all of us. And today she's chatting with us at New Mommy at 40. And again, what an honor to have you sit with us, Dr. Shauna. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Victoria. This is a subject that's obviously very important to me since I wrote a book about reproductive function. But personally, your platform is important because as a I was an older mom. Uh, I'm now an older mom, but of grown children. <laughs> so I can uh, really appreciate that experience and talk about it. Yeah. Yes. And that's what we had in common when I uh, reached out to you. I was really surprised. One, I was thankful that you said yes, because we're the little engine that could here. Um, but uh, the fact that you also had a child at, was it 42? Almost. Just short of, a few months short of 42. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so right. um, in the, with this audience, I think, is this urge to this urgency to optimize our, our opportunities to become moms uh, and for those who, you know, and just in parenthood. And so it's really important to kind of find out what we can do to change the course of fertility in this country, in the Western hemisphere, it seems like it's like a real call to action, your book. And I, I just wanted to highlight some things it's clear to me that we're being charged with changing the course of this apocalyptic future of reproductive health, uh, aren't we? So w- what, what led you to even dedicate yourself to this research all those years ago? So I've been interested in the question of how chemicals in the environment that we're exposed to every day affect our health, and particularly... I got interested in reproductive health very early. So first I was looking at um, women's reproductive health and miscarriage and causes of miscarriage. And I studied that for a long time. And um, then um, a national committee that I was on got interested in a paper that had been published in 1992 
Okay, so 30 years ago. Um, And that paper was a wake up call because it said that sperm count had declined a lot, like 50%, 50%, 50 years. When I say that, in order to make it, um, you know, people feel it, I say, what about if IQ dropped 50%? Everybody can sort of relate to that, right? Or what if you know, BMI, obesity doubled, right? You can think of things that affect us personally. or uh, and, and so for sperm count, it's not so in your face. You know, we're not aware of it so much. But um, there it has been for 50 years going down and down and down and down and down and down. So um, once I realized that this was going on, um, which I did after I took that Danish paper from 1992 and actually spent six months trying to make it go away. My, my first thought was this can't be true. Right. Right. That's what a lot of people say. Well, this can't be true. This is just, you know, alarmist. And um, so I thought, well, okay, let me see. And so I'm a statistician. And so, you know, we have tricks that we do to make things go away. We can say, well, maybe it's due to how sperm count was, you know, how the count was actually counted. Right. Machinery. Who were these men change? that they tested? Who were these men, right? Yeah. Maybe now the men that are going into these studies are fatter and, and more stressed and smoke more and, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the men can change. The methods could change. Um, other things could change, um, which we can go into if you want. But so what I did was I spent, you know, these six months. I thought, well, I'm going to really do this. You know, I'm going to really dive into it. I took all these variables from all of these 61 studies that had been in that paper. And I said, okay, how old were the men? You know, what was their BMI? How much did they smoke? And, and it, whenever I could find that information and, and put that in a big model, reanalyzed it, and nothing changed. Nothing changed to the first decimal place. Wow. So I was like, whoa, okay, then this is pretty solid, you know? And so once I kind of said, well, I'm going to have to believe this paper because I can't make it go away. And, um, <laughs> and so I thought, okay, if sperm count is going down in time, that must mean that's well, it can't be genetics. It's too fast for genetics. That's 50 years is two generations. Things don't change that fast genetically. Right. So I said, then it has to be environment. Okay. So what in the environment could be doing this? And this was before I knew anything about the kind of chemicals that I study now, chemicals that affect our body's hormones. They're called endocrine disrupting chemicals because their endocrine is hormone and disrupting Right. Uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals. So they were not, they were just kind of raising their head uh, around 2000 when I was getting into this. And one class of those chemicals, a colleague pointed me toward was called phthalates. Yes. And why did I hone in on phthalates? Well, I honed in on phthalates because I learned that they lower testosterone. And once I learned that testosterone is what you need to set up the whole reproductive system so it's going to work when a guy is in his 20s and needs to produce sperm. Right. You know, if you mess that up early on, then bad things can happen. And that's what I spent the next, you know, 20 years 
trying to understand and publishing many, many studies on, doing many studies on, and finally coming to the conclusion that those exposures to phthalates and other chemicals that affect our hormones are one of the strong factors behind this decline. Now, I'm not going to say it's the only factor. I'm not even going to say it's the worst factor because we don't know that. We can't really parse that out that way. So definitely lots of other lifestyle things like how stressed the man is and, and what he's eating, eating right. diet matters and so on. But um, these chemicals are, are, are a big part of it. So I got into that, you know, back in, you know, late nineties and then did my studies in 2000 and there we are. <laughs> but the thing that we call the book, right. Victoria, the yes. book yeah. is a different question. So we can come to that later. Yeah, no, but I just think it's the irony that it would take a female epidemiologist to to uncover to really delve into this and make the world listen in this patriarchy that is of the world, especially the medical field. So I think it's very interesting that um, it's so fascinating that it's taken this long and it still doesn't seem to have sounded the alarm. I would think if someone was talking about male reproductive health that this would be everywhere i so i find it very interesting that we haven't found we haven't i have never heard of this prior to i just happened to come across you and just looking about fertility and i thought wait wait what count this book is pretty imperative (laughs) i would think to understand uh our reproductive health and the direction that it's going into especially with so many people relying on assisted reproductive, uh, you know, uh, uh, processes to get, to get pregnant these days. Why do you think it's taken so long? Oh gosh, a couple of things. One is that in, insofar as men play a big role and they definitely are not the whole story, but insofar as men play a big role, men are not, in the habit of talking about their reproductive health, their sperm count or their, you know, success in the bedroom or whatever the people, they don't talk about it. Right. Right. And so if they're having problems, they are going to either ignore it or go very quietly to the doctor. And that's not something you're going to talk about you know, if you go to a doctor and you find out you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, no problem talking about it at the next cocktail party. If you go to a doctor and found out you have very low sperm count or low testosterone, mm-hmm. are you going to talk about that? No. I don't think so. No. So you see, and on the female side, on the female side, women have been made to feel actually guilty oh. if they are not succeeding producing a baby. I don't know if you had that experience, but um, many women do. Yeah, oh, no, it's common. I hear it from my um, audience often of this kind of, well, especially because of our age, like, why did you wait so long? And which I understand, but not everyone has that luxury to have a child in their 20s and their 30s for whatever reason. Some of us are enjoying our lives to the fullest and don't want to. And some of us were going to school. I just think that the, the demands on women these days can often push the family starting phase a little later so right um but i find it very odd that so much focus has been made on female reproductive issues 
and not male. I found it fascinating, fascinating the the TV uh, correlation to testicular test function with TV, like the heat from TVs. You're talking about testicular testicular. I think I wrote it wrong. Excuse me. Yes. Right, 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 right. So that's interesting. So what, you know, that's part of the same story. So, so let me tell you, let me tell a little story. Okay. Tell me a story. Okay. So think about the fetus in the womb very early. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when it starts out, the genital tract is the same in a genetic male and a genetic female. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's neutral. Right. Can go either way. Right. Right. Then the genes of a genetic male, he has a Y chromosome, right? Right. His, he will develop testes that produce testosterone. Right. Okay. And once that testosterone starts being produced in early pregnancies, the first trimester, then all kinds of things happen. And that neutral genital tract, which is just a ridge, really, is all you can see, starts developing and make, going in one direction if it's a genetic male and one genetic direction if it's a genetic female, right? right. It's different XY, yeah. Yeah, if it's XY, then it starts to develop testicles and otherwise ovaries, right? Right, right. And so on and so forth with the, with the different parts. So... All of that is really, really critical for setting up what's going to happen later when the guy needs the sperm or the gal needs the, the, the eggs, right? Right. That all is laid down there in the first trimester. Now, what else is going on? Well, this fetus is inside, you know, the womb, and the womb is inside a woman, and the woman is eating and being exposed to things and taking in lots and lots and lots of things medications and, you know, pollutants and not only phthalates, but also BPA and phenols and pesticides and all these things. And those, some of those have the ability to mess up that process of differentiation. Mm. Also, the same thing is going on in the brain. Now, you know, we're mostly going to talk about the genitals, but the brain is also developing somewhat differently in a genetic male and a genetic female. And, and so, and then other things are going on too. So the, but going back to the generals, the things that can go wrong as a group have been called the phthalate syndrome, if they're related to phthalates or more generally this way, you were saying testicular dysgenesis syndrome. That's lots of big words, but it means dysgenesis is maldevelopment, if you will, bad development of the testicular machinery, if you will. Right. So that, that includes, and, it, and the consequences of that is that the, the guy will go on to have problems and he might have birth defects, might have undescended testicles. He might have eventually testicular cancer. He might have low sperm count. He might be infertile. Lots and lots of things can play out from that. And it's all started, and this should make new moms, new women newly pregnant think a lot about what they're exposed to in early pregnancy, because that's really the most critical time for this. Yeah, of course. We're talking weeks, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, before you barely know you're pregnant, right? Yeah. All this is happening. So you've got to watch what's going on in, in coming into your body at that time. So where, where do you find these phthalates? Where, where are they lurking around? to even attempt to avoid them? 
Yeah. Um, so phthalates are, do a couple things. And one of the things they do is they make plastic soft. I don't have a bottle right here, a soft plastic bottle. Try to avoid them, but um, you can probably find soft looking, plastic in your house. I should have had one, yes. I don't yeah. have one here, but... Right, so a plastic water bottle, it could be a rubber ducky, it could be a shower curtain, it could be a food container, it could be any, in fact, any tubing that's soft plastic will have phthalates in it. And what's kind of scary is that those chemicals, which are definitely capable of changing our body's hormones, leave the tube when it's heated and enter whatever's going into the tube. So they've shown that, for example, milk in a milking machine, mm -hmm. that, and they all contain, all tubing, soft tubing contains phthalates. So unless they've made a real effort to keep it out. So milk going through this tubing will pick up the phthalates from the, from the plastic and that will enter the milk and then you can measure it. And that's been done in studies. So has. on the other hand, if you, if you collect milk by hand, the old fashioned way, yeah. it won't have phthalates. What was found so, in the, in the studies of the, the milk that did go through this tubing, how did it affect babies? Well, that study was not about affecting babies. That was just a study about the milk. I see. I see. But the, how it affects babies is what I was telling you, that it has the ability to change the development of the reproductive system in very profound ways and of the brain. That's a lots and lots of studies that have taken phthalates in milk and in lots of other foods, or maybe you don't even know where they come from, but you can say they're there because you measure them in the urine. So if I want to know how much phthalates are in your body right now, mm -hmm. I'd ask you to give me a urine sample. Okay. I send it to the laboratory okay, and they would analyze it and tell you, and you can do this by the way, if you want. Yeah. Um, I want to know how yeah. this sounds interesting and scary. This is very scary, but it's necessary. Yeah. So yeah. how do you, yeah. how do you do that? So, well, I can't tell you the chemistry for how they do that, okay. but for you, what you have to do is just pee in a bottle. Okay. That's it. And send the sample in. And there's a company called Million Marker that you can use associated with UCSF, for example. That's just one. There are many companies that do this. Then there are, are companies that serve and government agencies that serve researchers to do it. Um, but whoever does it, it's not tricky. It's not really, you have to be careful. You have to do it well, but it's not rocket science, you know? So, and by the way, you, there are many phthalates. There's not just one, there's many. And there's some that are particularly good at making plastic soft. Others do other things like they're in skin creams and cosmetics. They make, they hold scent, so they're in um, fragrances. Okay. They hold color, so they're in lipstick. And all of those things get into our body. They're in plug-in wall fresheners, oh. so you get them in the air, yeah. they're in the dust. I, if you read Countdown, you'll see, you know, oh, yeah. we talk about lots and lots of places where yeah. these things are found, right? I think one of my favorite chapters, because after I got through most of it, I was like, oh, my gosh, tell me how to fix it. Tell me how to fix it. And <laughs> when you get to <laughs> chapter 11 and chapter 12, if you get this book, are actually great because you can go. It really it sounds so simple too, Dr. Swan, what you've put here. 
And I think it just takes time and practice to kind of dedicate yourself to to doing these things. But um, we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to talk about um, you were talking about the the bottoms, I think, of plastic um, containers. And there's usually like a symbol there, like with the no non BPA and numbers. What do those numbers correlate to? So that's an old system. Okay. And I think I'll, I'll just tell you, you know, what the what the. <clears throat> what I usually say, although that may be changing, but the, what I usually say is four, five, one, and two, all the rest are bad for you. Four, five, so one, and two, all the rest if are you, bad Four, five, one, and two. So if you look at that little recycling code and it's a four, five, one, or two, it's probably not doing a lot of harm. Okay. A lot We're of learning harm. more and more about the others, the threes and the sevens and the sixes. And, um, that class is expanding. And so it's, it's, it's hard to keep up with it. Right. You know, well, I wanted to mention another thing sure. in terms of avoiding, avoiding these chemicals. Um, you know, we're going to talk about how to do that, but I wanted to say that it's not an equal opportunity story. It's not like everybody has the same access to safer products or safer foods. That's true. Okay, and I don't know if you want to get into that, but um, yeah. it's, um, it's it's something that concerns me because, I mean, for example, food. Let's take food. Yeah. So, you know, the the safest way to eat is to go to the market. You buy fresh food, buy it organic if you can afford it. Take it home, cook it, and in, in, in pans that don't have Teflon on them because that's a no no. A store AKA nonstick. Don't have plastic. Yeah. Don't have BPA. And what you're requiring then is people to a live near fresh food, not in a food desert, which many people who have are in poorer communities, you know, they can't get the fresh food. Right. You don't want to eat fast food. Well, some people have, don't have a choice but to eat fast food, right? Hmm. And and so I, you know, it's not like we're equally at risk. Um, and there are, you know, you know, issues here for, um, you know, who can be protected and how much it costs to be protected and who has the knowledge to be protected. You know, there, there's a website called EWG, Environmental Working Group, and that's great. You can put in a chemical you can put in a product you say, here's the shampoo I want to buy. And it'll tell you if that's a good idea or not. Oh. It'll tell you. It'll rate them, right? But those cleaner products are going to be more expensive and harder to find. Right. And that's so the that's, problem. That's we don't all have access, but this is probably, probably, you know, this episode will air later, but today just happens to be a big day all around the country in terms of voting. And yes, and <laughs> I hope, you know, whenever someone hears this, it may not be on a, an election day, but it just shows you the power of our voices, because this is where we can change these lobbyists and, and influence these lobbyists to think about how this is affecting our our world and our our and generationally, because even what you yeah. know, what you were saying in, in, in the book, it's not just that particular child that's affected it's generationally affecting affecting us absolutely um, so it's very important to to use our voices and and this is a call to action it really is i mean selfishly yes. for our audience a lot of us are 
either parents already or looking to become parents. So this is great information to get right now. And that's why I really urge everybody to get this book and not only read chapter 11 and 12 and going on and how to fix it, but just uh, some understanding of how we got here and how you got this information um, because it can, I, I think, really help when we're looking to increase our odds of having children uh, at this stage. It's really important to know how everything that you're putting into your mouth and is in your environment is affecting it. I want to ask about miscarriages because this is something that's very um, personal to me and our, my listeners know that I've had a few of them. And some of what you uh, mentioned is also how this affects women, that the, mid the miscarriage rate has also risen by, what, 1% per year over the last two decades? Yes. So we have less, less information on miscarriage rates, but from all the information we have, it is one of the trends that has been increasing at about the same rate. So miscarriage going up. PCOS, by the way, has been going up, right? Also, PCOS yeah, you too? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah going up. And by the way, in men, it's not just sperm count. It's also testosterone going down, erectile dysfunction going up, testosterone use in young men going up. Um, it's it's all kind of fitting together. Also, this, this testosterone therapy, because there, there are a lot of um, young men that are going to get um, these injections to help with their levels. But what was interesting in the book was that that actually is not good for sperm quality. That's right. That's right. I was, it, um, blown, I would, mine was blown because I was thinking, I, know, I was right. reading the paragraph and I'm going there and I'm like, wait, 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 <laughs> that affects the, the quality of the sperm. So if you're thinking that you're probably, no, it affects the, also the number of and the, the sperm. Number. The sperm wow. So yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's kind of a, weird you know consequence where you think you're you're doing good well maybe you're doing good for your muscles but not right. so much for yours now right. how testosterone also plays a role for women too in absolutely absolutely so so women with pcos actually have higher um testosterone yeah i know if you know that but um and in fact yes, some women finally explained my lower voice all these years yeah, there you go. <laughs> and and um, so did you have a boy or a girl? I had a girl. A girl. Okay. So uh, this is something you won't know, but um, and your daughter, but it turns out in our study, which was a study of pregnant women in which we found what, what their phthalate levels were and their BPA levels and so on. Um, <clears throat> the women who had PCOS had girls who actually had a somewhat more masculine development of their genitals. Hmm. They, that testosterone masculinized them a little bit. Now that's not to say they're gonna get beards and, or anything like that. No, it's not no. anything dramatic like that, but it's subtle changes in, in, in the hormones. Well, I, I've, I've seen PCOS just look, it's in, such, in so many different forms when it comes to people, because I literally had to push to get tested for PCOS. They did my OB, my uh, GYN did not believe me when I, I, I kind of came across it in a, in a magazine. I think it was Cosmo. I was having so many different, so many issues. And I wrote down all of my symptoms and it just seemed like there was a doctor for each one of them. And I thought, wait, what is going on? This is like a lot happening to me. And I went to my GYN 
And long story short, she's like, you're not obese. You don't have uh, marks on your your body. Um, I guess they're like these black marks or something right, spots right, right. That you can get. And uh, I don't think you have it. And I said, I just please just test me. Just test me for it. OK. And it, roll of the eye completely. I mean, she, I had to leave uh, her practice because I, I couldn't believe how much I had to fight just to get tested. But I did come back. Um, my levels were a little abnormal, but slightly elevated my testosterone. So it wasn't mm -hmm. too bad. So I guess that's why I didn't fit the marker or the, you know, what it's supposed to look like. But right. there is right. no right. one case of PCOS. Right, right, right. So um, I... Yeah, but uh, that's an example of, yes, women have testosterone. They need testosterone, actually. Um, I'll tell you one other sort of flip side of that, which is that in our study, again, the same study where we got the women's urine, that's how you know what's in the woman's body because you tested in the urine, right? So we got the urine and it turned out that when we asked women about their sexual function, okay, how often they had sex, how satisfied they were with sex and so on, that women who had higher levels of phthalates had poor scores on sexual function. And drive, and, right? And that's, what? And did that, and also drive? The, the sexual drive? Oh, yeah. Sexual? I mean, it's all tied together. I mean, it's it's hard to quantify drive. I mean, one way to quantify it is number of, you know, occurrences, you know, how many times you have sex and how satisfying it is. So, mm -hmm. so that was actually related to one of the phthalates, diethyl hexyl phthalate. The converse is also true for BPA in, in men, which is BPA makes plastic hard, phthalates make plastic soft, right? Mm -hmm. And BPA is estrogenic and phthalates are anti-androgenic, anti-lowering testosterone, right? So they're kind of evil twins, I like to think of. <laughs> they're not the same kind of different. Well, it turns out that men in a factory that was manufacturing BPA had significantly more erectile dysfunction. Wow. Right? So that was lowering their testosterone. So it's... Um, it's affecting men and women, it's affecting their function, it's affecting their drive, it's affecting their performance. It's, you know, it's, we should all care about it. Can you explain to me what bisphenol A is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so bisphenol A is um, another plasticizer. It's put in plastic. Okay. Um, it's different from phthalates in that it's, um, like I say, it. Um, is estrogenic and increases, it, you know, the, it, the estrogen in the body, basically, whereas phthalates lower androgen. So it's kind of opposite. And um, it was in, discovered back in 1938. It's been around for a very long time. Um, and it's it's been in various products. And most commonly now, it's in tin cans. So the lining of almost all tin cans is with BPA. Another thing that's um, place you find BPA is in cash register receipts. You know, you get a receipt from the store yes. and that is printed on something that has BPA on it to, and, and, but you can, some companies can buy BPA free cash register receipts, but we did a study, not me, but some of my colleagues where they took people working um, 
you know, with receipts, right. you know, check out, people yeah. check out. And they had them, they had hand cream on that. So that picked up some of the BPA from the receipts and they had high levels in their body. I can imagine. So by the way, I always say no thank you to the receipt. <laughs> I don't take it. I, I will now, it. especially that laundry list yeah. of a receipt that I get from CVS every time. I'm like, I'm never coming right. back and uh, using this coupon. Why? I think about the, the person checking you out. Yeah. They're doing that all day long. All day. Oh my goodness. And if they're pregnant or by the way, if they're a man who's about to conceive a pregnancy. So these exposures are to the woman, but they're also to the man who's going to be the father of the pregnancy. So the fetus can get messed up both by what the woman is exposed to and what the man is exposed to prior to the time the pregnancy is conceived. Do you understand that? Yes. Yes. I understand it. It's very clear. It's just very, it's alarming, but it's, I understand it. Yeah. So yeah. can we reverse this? So this is, let's say it, it, it affects three generations or more if we never change anything. How, if we do change and we, uh, we, we actually all wake up and, and start taking responsibility for what we're doing. To, Cause I think basically mother nature and the earth is just, screaming at us it's it, it's just very angry at everything that we're doing right now and now we are paying the consequences for it so how long does that take do you think it takes to reverse the course of action here from all of this exposure that's a great question and of course we can only speculate because we haven't done it right but in the laboratory um one colleague of mine pat hunt University of Washington did ask that question about her lab animals. So she took a mouse uh, who was exposed to BPA in utero and, or maybe it was phthalates or both, I can't remember, but basically their reproductive function was not good. And then she made sure that the offspring of that mouse and the offspring of the offspring of that mouse were not exposed to anything else that could interfere with their hormones. And she did that for three generations. And after three generations, the animals were completely healthy. All of their reproductive function was restored. Wow. So that's pretty encouraging. Yes. The tricky part is that the lifespan you know, the intergenerational distance of a mouse is two years. So that study, she could show that in six years. But for us, it's 75 years for three generations. I see. Yeah. So it's harder to... If you do the math, it's really hard that. to quantify. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we can, we can move in that direction. We can make it healthier. We don't have to, you know do everything all at once, we can start in that direction. That's what we should do. We should be becoming aware of what the exposures are, trying to keep them out of our lives and taking maybe even baby steps in the direction of cleaning up our bodies. And I, I want to say too, for the other inhabitants of this world, it, this is also affecting our animals. I mean, in the book, you talk about how you know, the, the penises of other, of different species are being affected. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's affecting all of us. And so I, I really hope that, you know, what's tricky about this is you can, for yourself, selfishly, you can go and make these adjustments. But if we're thinking on a global level and our responsibility to each other, 
it becomes yeah. a little daunting. <laughs> you weird. It's you, extremely daunting. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very daunting because I can take responsibility for my household and 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 do I, what I can to avoid this from affecting our future future generations in my home. But I would love for all of us to to do this for each other. Um, I love this part. What can we do about this? <laughs> that's what my finger just kind of went to um great i wanted to there's something that you said here that i thought was very interesting because we all know about organic food and everything but the the vinyl shower curtain is something i think everyone has i know that's an odd one to pick but I think if you're working so hard on what you're putting into your bodies, you're not looking around the the everyday things that are affecting you. So can you tell us about the vinyl shower curtain and its effects? Well, they're, you know, soft plastic. So that's going to have phthalates in it. And um, I'm sure it has other bad chemicals in it also. I haven't analyzed one myself. But right. um, you know what? A very surprising one. I don't know if you got to that part, but your garden hose no, I didn't get your that. garden hose. Uh, you can buy phthalate free garden hoses, but you have to seek them out. Otherwise you're putting that stuff on your plants. If you're growing something in your garden that you're going to eat, you know, so you just have to ask about everything that you use, you know, and it's difficult because not everything is known and, and manufacturers don't have to put it on the label. Okay, so, and that's the problem. Why don't they have to put this on the label? How are we not at that point yet? It upsets me. I can't, I can't answer the why but, question, but I can say I can say that there are places in the world that are doing it better. So we know it's possible to do it better because in the EU they have much much better regulations. Oh, yeah. And in the EU, I right? just came back from a trip overseas of it's a, like a department of, of France and you could just taste the difference in the food. They just, really? everyone look, yeah. Oh, the bread, the, because they just have so many regulations and refuse to have all these additives in their food. It's just fresher food. Right. It goes right. bad faster. <laughs> it actually yeah. has a, a shelf life. That's right. very short. Right. 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 Um, but Yes, you know, how many yeah. so, so why so why we don't do that is a political question, it's an economic question, and today being election day, we might think about what the implications of that are, but um it's yeah. uh it's very very hard to move, you know, big corporations to do something different when they're doing fine and making money and what they're producing and why should they change that unless there is enormous pressure to change it so it's up to us to exert that pressure but it's going to take a lot of pressure and a lot of people to say that yeah to demand that yeah. well it starts with one and it started with you and i really appreciate the work that you you've put into this i mean so many years of research i just hope that we listen i hope for your case to your your sake too just that people actually listen to what you've, you're saying here and actually make a make a change. Um, all all that hard work that you you've put in. Um, and thank you for you know bringing me on to your show and talking about the book and supporting the book. And maybe your listeners will pick it up and 
and give it to a friend. I mean, this thing, you know, don't keep the book, just pass it on, ask somebody else to pass it on. And that's how we can get the word out. Um, that's all we can do really. Yeah. Any, any last words for this audience, like this advanced maternal age um, people who are looking to enter this crazy world of parenthood uh, at this stage, any, anything that you can tell us of encouraging warnings, say, whatever. I, I, I would just say you have my sympathy because I also am an older parent and I know what that's like. Um, and, but you have the, the smarts because of your age and your maturity to, you know, pay attention and to do things better than you might have, you know, 10 years ago in terms of, you know, raising a healthy pregnancy and a healthy child. So, you know, make that effort and it's worth it because whatever you instill in your child now will be passed on to the next generation and the next generation. Yeah. It's your future. So make the best of it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And where can people find you? You can go to shawnaswan.com. Yeah. Okay. And are you on the social medias? The, any of those? Oh, I'm, yeah, all of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All you, can, of them, yeah. you can connect her yeah. with her there. And again, it's called Countdown. Here we are. Please um, take it. Take a look at it. Uh, I really encourage everyone to just take a moment and invest, invest in our future, our collective future. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Shauna Swan for spending time with us today. You can find her at www.shaunaswan.com and on social media as Dr. Shauna Swan. Please tune in next week for another great episode. And I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. Email me at info at newmommy at 40 podcast.com or connect with me on social media at newmommy at 40. And don't forget to share, share the podcast with your friends and your family and follow and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Take care of yourselves and each other. See you next Monday.